I am serving the fifth year of a life sentence for murdering my own child. Spoiler alert, I didn't do it. Hello, and welcome to Best Seller, where we read and rate the latest book at the top of the New York Times hardcover fiction list. 20 minutes with us, and you'll know whether to read it or re-gift it. I'm Brian. And I'm Barbara. Today we're reviewing I Will Find You by Harlan Coben, number one on the April 2nd, 2023 list. Anything else happening on the list this week? Three books dropped off this week. The Star Wars book, Battle Scars by Sam Maggs fell off after just one week on the list, as did the debut novel by Amelia Hart called Weyard, which is an alternate spelling, W-E-Y-W-A-R-D, for the word weird as used in Shakespeare's Macbeth, you know, for the weird sisters. Hmm. And leaving the list after 27 weeks, Stephen King's fairy tale. Any new entries? Yes, at number two is a novel of family life by Anne Napolitano called Hello, Beautiful. Nice title. Yes, and the book has a great cover painting by Jessica Miller, a Hudson River Valley artist who does expressionist portraits. One of my favorite book covers of the year so far. Also at number 13 is the latest case of the Venetian detective Commissario Brunetti. It's called So Shall You Reap by Donna Leon, whose English language novels are translated into pretty much every language in the world but Italian. Because? Well, apparently she doesn't want to become a celebrity in her own backyard. She lives in Italy. So so she's allowing her books to be translated into every language but that. But let's talk about our new number one. What do we know about the author? Well, it's Harlan Coben. He's represented by Lisa Erbach Vance at the Aaron Priest Agency. He's 61 years old, born in New Jersey, and still lives in New Jersey with his wife, pediatrician Ann Armstrong Coben, and their four children. He began writing pretty much straight out of college, though it took six years to get the first novel out. In 1995, he began the Myron Bolitar series. Bolitar is a sports agent who keeps getting pulled into murders involving his clients. Okay. He's written 12 novels in that series, plus four involving spinoff characters. But more recently, in the latter part of his career, he's focused uh, mostly on standalone novels. This started after he had a story idea that he could not fit into the Bolitar series. That idea yielded a book called Tell No One, 2001. That was his first New York Times bestseller, and it was adapted into a very successful and acclaimed 2006 French film of the same name, Tell No One. In French, it would be Nella Dise Personne. I don't know if that's even close to French, <laughs> but I tried. A movie that we saw. What did you think of it? Yeah, it was, it was good. It holds up very well. It's, it's definitely <clears throat> worth a watch. His standalones usually revolve around the theme of missing persons or misidentification. <clears throat> In 2018, he signed a deal with Netflix to adapt 14 of his standalones into miniseries. Six of them are out so far, two from the UK, two from Poland, one from Spain, and one from France. We saw one of the series, The Woods, which was made and set in Poland. Yeah, which I enjoyed. I think it was, what, six episodes? Yeah. And... Um, I'm not saying it's must-see television, but but it was fun. What did you it was think? Good. Yeah, I thought it was good. It held up and it was uh, held held my attention. And yeah, and it was uh, it was fun to watch something made in Poland. So let's talk about this book. I will find you. It was published by Grand Central. His 36th novel, another standalone mystery with the theme of finding a missing loved one. The readership for this book is about three quarters female. It's 325 pages. 
the audiobook 10 Hours and 16 Minutes, read by Stephen Weber, who's read a lot of Harlan Coben and also some Stephen King. I think that he has a really great reading voice. He proceeds in a rather stately manner, I would say. Takes his time, like lots of pauses. You might want to speed up the playback. Yeah. So what about the story? So here's the story. David Burroughs is incarcerated at the Briggs Penitentiary in rural Maine, five years into a life sentence for murdering his three-year-old son, Matthew. Matthew was found in his bed, beaten beyond recognition. David didn't do it, but he was the only suspect. He had a history of sleepwalking, Mm. was under a tremendous degree of stress in his failing marriage, and there's a witness who reports seeing him burying the murder weapon in the yard. Oh, not a good fact. Not a good fact. Yeah, so he gets convicted, he goes to prison, and then five years later, when the book starts, Rachel, the sister of his now ex-wife, shows up with a recent photo of an eight-year-old boy at an amusement park. Remember, Matthew would be eight at this point. The boy looks like Matthew, has the same distinctive birthmark on his face that Matthew had. So David decides he needs to break out of prison so he can, one, find Matthew, two, prove his innocence, and three, figure out who did all this and why. Is he successful? Read the book and find out. Which we did, so let's review it. All right, so our first category is grip and grab. Does a book take hold of you and pull you in? What did you think about this category? So I found this setup rather compelling. It pulled me in, and I finished the book relatively quickly, although for the first time since we started this podcast, I didn't finish before you did. Ah, so I, it, it's an inherently compelling subject matter. I mean, he's looking for his kid that they thought was dead, and he's in prison. So he decides, I have to get out of prison before I can really do this investigation. So you've got really two compelling situations in one. Uh, so it draws you in right away. I will say, though, some of the resolutions of the obstacles and the challenges were a little quick, a little simple, although he has mastered the art of kill your darlings. You remember that principle? As soon as he's about to solve one problem, there's another one thrown in his face. It's like over and over throughout the whole book that way. Uh, but when he does solve them, they're, they're a little quick and easy. I, I thought the prison break in particular was was disappointing. And there was one kind of strange feature of the book. There's a major reveal uh, a third of the way in. Now, I'm not going to say what it is because there's no spoilers here on our podcast, uh, but I didn't expect that. You know, usually the the major reveal comes at the end. So I gave it a three. That's a pretty good score. That's right in the middle. What did you give for grip and grab? I gave it a three for grip and grab, but I have to tell you, I don't... I. I thought that the prison break was actually, it was, I was on the edge of my seat. Okay, cool. So um, let's look at the next category. He got flair. This is about writing style. I, it's pretty good. Um, I would call his style a little gee whiz in this book. Like he's trying to be conversational and hip. Uh, I'll give a, a quote here. I didn't check a clock, but for those keeping score at home, it was four in the morning. Another place he says, I know what you're thinking. He's talking to the readers there. Um, so if you like that kind of conversational style, it's fine. It, it works. I found it a little bit too much at times. Like, There's one point where one of the characters says, seriously, how crazy pants was that theory anyway? <laughs> nope and double nope. And I, was, I remember asking you, should a 60-ish writer 
be using the phrase crazy pants. <laughs> I guess if his character needs to say yeah, it. Yeah, if it's the character. Okay, what did you think about flair? So for He Got Flair, it just wasn't as strong for me. Um, I did notice I frequently made the same note, truth, that this author has a way of describing something that rings true. Ah. So for instance, here's a quote, grief re- rarely attacks from the front. It prefers to sneak up on you when you least expect it. That's something that yeah. is true. Um some of the descriptions I found um, rather interesting. Um, here's a quote. I lower my head and let myself blend in with the onlookers. My pulse is back under control now. I start whistling as I walk east, trying so hard to look casual and inconspicuous that I feel like I stick out like a cigarette at a fitness club. <laughs> so, was, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. That I made like me that. chuckle. That was good writing. Um, I but feel one like of, some, of the, some of what could help the parts I found too glib was maybe a little editing. Like he's got this one quote, some relatives slept on a couch or a floor for weeks, months, whatever. Newer immigrant families, Cambodian, Vietnamese, whatever. The military, the police academy, whatever. Okay, cut much, out. A little too much whatever. <laughs> too much whatevs. <laughs> A little more editing. It Sometimes it almost felt like he was reading this into a handheld recorder while he's driving down the street and his kids are creating havoc in the back seat, which is fine, <laughs> but just edit it. So what did you give Flair? So for Flair, I gave it a two. A two. So did I. Okay. All right. Um, beam me up. This is our phrase for world building. Did you like this world? What did you think about this category? Yeah, so... <sighs> At first, I was pulled in, but as I continued, I felt there were some boundaries that were broken that made it rather implausible, which Mm. didn't help me sink into this world. And when you can't continue to suspend disbelief to go where the story goes, it gets in the way of enjoyment. So, for instance, ending up in his uncle's prison is a lucky break I don't think would ever happen. (laughs) Yeah, I, I was, again, really anticipating something exciting because I like prison break stories. You know, I like crime stories in general, and I, but I am I am looking for learning something, seeing something new, a little new insight. And there was nothing about the prison world that was new. There was nothing about the villains world that was new. It was almost a little cartoonish, uh, mm-hmm. the world building here. So I gave this category a one point five. I gave it a two point five. So our next category is new best friends. How did we find the characters in the book? Um, I actually liked some of the minor characters better than the main character, uh, the the protagonist, whose name I already forgot. What was his name? Yeah. Burroughs. Yeah. So that's not good when the main character is weak. And I can be rather specific about this. He's he's glib. He's um, he's not a strong personality. He actually says at one point, "I know I seem glib right now, <laughs> but I, I can give you other examples." I, at one point he says, if he shoots me, okay, whatever. <laughs> Another place he says, the Bob suited her, I guess. It accentuated the cheekbones or something. I don't know. That's a direct quote. So yeah. he came across as kind of weak. And and there was one sequence where uh, the author's trying to explain his relationship with his dad. And it's like this big, long paragraph of cliches about them throwing the baseball back and forth. And nothing wrong with that. It just it didn't seem like a memorable character to me. Um, and that's that's a problem. What did you think about the characters? So I did enjoy the main character and the people he was closest to. I absolutely loved the FBI characters. They were hilarious. I have a really strong image of their banter. Well, I'll tell you what, that was one of my favorite things too. The two FBI agents, their names are Max and Sarah. So let's play a clip 
where they're interrogating Philip McKenzie. Philip McKenzie is the warden. And remember, there's a jailbreak. So, you know, they suspect that the warden may have been involved. Let's listen to this little uh, interrogation. Philip's hands formed two fists. His face reddened. Look at me, damn it. Nah. He took a step closer. When you call a man a liar, you better be ready to look him in the eye. Max shook his head. I never bought that. Bought what? That look me in the eye stuff. Eye contact is so overrated. The best liars I know can look you straight in the eye for hours on end. It's a waste of time and energy maintaining eye contact. Am I right, Sarah? As rain, Max. Warden, Max said. What? This is going to be bad for you. Very bad. Nothing I can do about that. But for your silent son here, there may be a sliver of daylight. But if you keep lying, I'll bury you both. We've done that before, haven't we, Sarah? We enjoy it, Max. It's kind of a turn-on, Max said. I sometimes tape moments like this, Sarah said, and then I use it as foreplay. Feel my nipples, Sarah, Max said, jutting his chest out towards Sarah. They're hard as pebbles. I don't want to get written up by HR again, Max. Ah, you used to be fun, Sarah. Okay, I thought that was funny. Maybe I'm immature, but uh, I enjoyed these, these interrogations, Max and Sarah. What else about the characters in this book? So there was another character who was um, a lawyer helping with the investigation, the notorious Hester Crimstein. And so this this lawyer is supplying vehicles, fake IDs, disguises, burner phones, envelopes of cash. Okay. I never practiced law in New York, so I guess it's possible, but this is not what lawyers are supposed to do. But I did appreciate that this magical, amazing hero lawyer was a woman. So, okay, so you appreciated all of her powers, but you don't think that it's quite realistic. It's, it goes along with the, the sort of the implausibility factor that I already mentioned. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed seeing the, his lawyer friend go that far for him, but it was a little implausible. I gave this category a 1.5, mainly because I never really connected with the main character. What about you? I gave it a 2.5. So our last category is all the feels. Did we have an emotional reaction to this book? What about you? So I did feel pulled into the rather intense scenes. I wanted to find out the mystery. I enjoyed the reveal. I did chuckle and enjoy the story. But I found myself scratching my head too often, not believing mm. what was happening. So for me, all the feels was a 2.5. You know, if... If it gets too implausible and pulls you out of the trance, yeah, you start to lose your emotional reaction. The, I had the same problem. And this is one of those books where if you think about the plot after you're done reading, it actually starts to deteriorate. It's like when you're caught up in it, you can almost go along. But there's a, it gets more and more implausible as you get towards the end. That takes away some of the feeling. Um, also, there's some weird writing things that detract, too. Did, did you notice that when the main character, Burroughs, gets in a fight, all of a sudden the action stops and the author explains why he's so good at fighting? <laughs> like, you're not supposed to do that. We should have had that set up a while ago. Again, a little bit of editing would have helped. The, the situation is inherently compelling. And I did have an emotional reaction at the very end, finally on the last page, because this, this type of setup, I looked it up, it's called anagnorisis. That's the point in a play or novel in which a principal character recognizes or discovers another character's true identity huh. or the nature of their own circumstances. This is a 
dramatic device, and it goes all the way back. Think about Oedipus discovering, uh-oh, I'm actually sleeping with my mother. Weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's dramatic, though. It is. And, of course, Shakespeare used it, like, in The uh, the Tempest when Miranda is like, oh, my dad's a duke. <laughs> so this moment of recognition is inherently compelling in theater or in novels. And, and you know, Harlan Coben has made a career out of it. His standalone novels, that's what they focus on. Mm-hmm. So, so he's got that going for him. Unfortunately, the overall effect is pulled down by you know, some of the writing. So I gave this category a 2.5. Still, you know, pretty good. So let's talk about the overall rating. When you put all of our numbers together, we get an average of 2.3, which puts this book in the middle of the pack of all the books we've reviewed this year. Uh, Compare our 2.3 to 4.5 average on Amazon and 4.3 on Goodreads. So that's our review for this book. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week when we review Dark Angel by John Sanford. Until then, keep dreaming, keep flying. Keep laughing, keep crying. And don't stop until you've read them all. Bye.